Welcome, everyone. We are a community that loves like Jesus. And today, my hope and prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time that you tune in. Today, we are continuing our series on the best stories ever. And today's sermon is called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith. One thing that I do know is the gr one of the greatest human factors that influences our lives is the way that we see things, our perspective. Now, perspective is subjective. You have a perspective and I have the, a perspective. But the way that we see ourselves, the way that we see people around us, the way that we see our jobs, our problems, our past, our future, really everything in life, our perspective can make a difference. So today I wanna to concentrate on a certain perspective, and that is the perspective of seeing with the eyes of faith. Because I believe a sound, true, and reasonable perspective makes all the difference in the world, whether you're going to be possibly victorious or defeated, happy, unhappy, maybe even success or failure, I think the perspective does change things and can change the course of our future and really how we see life. One thing that I do wanna be clear though before I get started is I do not believe that everyone has to believe the same in order to have a proper perspective. Not everybody has to have group think. People do say that there's more than one way of looking at things and I believe that that is true. But nothing explains this better, I believe, in perspective than the book of Numbers and the story of the spies and the rebellion of God's people. This story explains seeing with a perspective, perspective of fear, perspective of faith, and perspective of, of rebellion. And fear turns into rebellion we see later in the narrative of the Bible. So this is where we're at in the story. You remember the story so far with Moses and taking the people out of bondage and into freedom and that God promises them this land, this place called the promised land. And Moses had led the children of Egypt out of Egypt, gone through the Red Sea, came out the other side, and they've been in the desert now for two years. And they're on the edge of this promised land. They are at this place called Kadesh, and God says, you're going to go in. You're going to take 12 spies, go in and see the land. And of course, seeing is believing, right? They're going to believe what they see because it's now they're there. They selected 12 spies. And when they came back, they returned with two different reports. 10 of them had a negative report. Two of them had a positive report. 10 of them saw with a certain perspective, maybe fear, maybe a little trepidation going in. Two of them saw with what I'll call eyes of faith. 10 of them said, all we see is obstacles. Two of them say, all I see is opportunities. So the problem with this passage is either one, I think all 12, really missed a tremendous opportunity because they didn't collectively have the right perspective. They didn't see God's point of view. Basically, 10 people caused an entire nation to die in the desert. <clears throat> they saw with the eyes of fear, which turned into rebellion, and that decision affected an entire generation of people. So in Numbers 13, starting in verse 1, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, Send out men to explore the land of Canaan. 
which I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one of them, one from each ancestral tribe, each a chief among them. So Moses sent, out, sent them out from the Paran Desert according to the Lord's command. All the men were leaders among the Israelites, 12 tribes basically and 12 leaders. So in verse 18, you must inspect the land. What is it like? Are the people who live there strong or weak, few or many? Is the land in which they live good or bad? Are the towns in which they live camps or fortresses? So if you jump down to verse 25, they returned from exploring the land after 40 days. They went directly to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the Paran Desert at Kadesh. They brought back a report to them and to the entire community and showed them the land's fruit. Then they gave their report. We entered the land to which you sent us. It's full of milk and honey, and, thi and this is its fruit. There are, however, powerful people who live in the land. The cities have huge fortifications. And we even saw the descendants of the Anakites there. And, and one word kept them in the desert, and that word is but, right? There are, however, powerful people who live in the land, the cities with huge fortifications. We have land of milk and honey. We see that this is a beautiful place, and here's its fruit, but huge fortifications. We even saw this descendant of the Anakites. The Amalekites live in the land of the arid southern plains. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the mountains, and the Canaanites live by the sea and along the Jordan. So in verse 30, now Caleb calmed the people before Moses and said, we must go up and take possession of it because we are more than able to do it. But the men who went up with him said, we can't go up against the people because they are stronger than we are. They started a rumor about the land that they had explored, telling the Israelites, the land that we had crossed over to explore is a land that devours its residents. All the people we saw in it are huge people. So notice one said, we can't, and the other said, we can. I believe that those two different phrases definitely define perspective. One attitude can make a difference, and one attitude holds us back. Well, in verse 33, we saw there the Nephilim, the giant people. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how we appeared to them. So basically, they saw with a perspective of fear, yet I'm not discounting that fear is a real emotion. It's just that anger is not the primary emotion. Fear is the primary emotion, and anger is a secondary emotion, or rebellion is the secondary emotion. Fear is also the secondary emotion to many times guilt. We feel guilt. We didn't do enough. We didn't say enough. We weren't proactive enough in our relationships then that makes us feel fear, isolated and alone. And then we react with anger. And so we see that a lot of times our reactions or responses in the negative perspective begins with guilt, then translates into fear, then translates into some kind of negative reaction. So if you look at the spies, you can see the same progression. You see that they had a huge lack of faith and whenever we have a huge lack of faith, either in God or each other or myself, this creates a sense of guilt 
It creates a sense of I'm not enough. It creates a sense of I should contract. I should have done more. So we have a sense of guilt. And this, I think this guilt swept an entire nation and then they get afraid of the people of the land. And then they, the key there is that translates into a cyclical life of rebellion that you see later in the biblical narrative. So it's not the fact that f- they had fear. It's not really the fact that they had, they had guilt and they had a huge lack of faith. It's what did they do with that? They basically challenged everybody. They basically started rumors. They basically, basically their rebellion kicked in and they persuaded a bunch of other people to believe pretty much a bunch of lies. So I want to look at several things here when it comes to seeing through eyes of fear and how that can translate in our lives. So first, these spies and really the Israelite nation eventually, they misunderstood and underestimated what God could do. And I do that a lot too. We misunderstand God and we underestimate God and what he can do in our lives. And if you look at verse 31, it says they went up and they said, we can't go up against the people because what? They are stronger than we are. They're powerful. The cities are powerful. They're like giants. We can't do this. They're stronger. They're bigger. They're, they're more powerful. So how quickly do we forget that this is a, a strong nation? We can't overcome it. They just, they just overcame the strongest nation in the world, the Pharaoh's Egyptian empire, and they can't overcome this nation. They've been set free from a, the greatest nation known, and now they're worried about a local tribe. So I don't know if you're the same as me, but the longer I look at a problem, the bigger that it gets. I turn the molehill into the mountain, right? I focus on it, and I just, I just start creating bigger and bigger and bigger perspective. This problem is now huge. And it's interesting that 38 years later, when God finally let them go into the promised land, Rahab the prostitute said this, You know, the people here who are living here, we've been frightened for 40 years. We've heard the miracles of Israel and what happened to you in the Egyptian empire and how you were set free through the Red Sea. We've been living in panic for 40 years of your power. They were afraid of the Israelites. They could have taken this no problem. And this is usually what happens. It's usually when we are afraid, Many times others are more afraid of, of us. So I want to give you something that I looked up here this week. Is This is a typical emotional American person's resume. So this is the emotional resume that most of us are living right now. Few deep relationships, and now during pandemic, even fewer. So we usually have a very few uh, deep relationships in our life. Uh, we struggle having a good time and usually are bent on life. We have pinned up stress that's expressed in anger and frustration, and we also struggle communicating our emotions properly. Now, at this point, you are saying, well, he just described me, right? That's, that's, who, that's who I am, and you're right. I did describe you because that's the typical emotional resume of an American person, a person in our culture 
creates so much dissonance through the fear of relationships and what other people uh, think of them. We have the fear of relationships. We have, we have, then that translates into othering. It translates into segregation. And dysfunctionally, it, it translates into micro-macro racism. And we become dysfunctional in our culture because of the fear of other people. So they didn't see anymore what God could do. They started to repel away from God and running away from God because they didn't, no, no longer had the perspective that God was on their side, that God could win this battle as well. God won that battle. God can win this battle too. So also, not only did they underestimate God, but they underestimated what they could do. In verse 33, we felt like grasshoppers. So that's about... <laughs> about you know, this big of a, of a self-image. We're little insects that are gonna be eaten, eaten up. It's too big of a project. It's too big of people, too big a land. So after 400 years of basically slavery, they still saw themselves in the same boat. They saw that back then, their history, as the good old days. They not only underestimated God, but they underestimated themselves. These guys are like giants and we are just small. They didn't see themselves as successful. What's interesting, 40 years later when Caleb got to go in, he asked for the area that had the giants in it, the tall people. And when he got there, he found that the tall giants weren't even warriors. There was nothing to be afraid of. And and that's true. Usually our first impression is false. We see something go, wow, that's different, or I don't know that, and we become afraid of it. And then we make up stuff around it, and we tell lies about it because we don't want to change, or we don't want to grow, or we don't want to transform in order to deal with it. So we underestimate a lot of times, based on fear, fear of others, fear of unknown situations, we underestimate what we are capable of doing. So think about your relationships with others. When somebody doesn't like us, what do we think of ourselves? Do we think of ourselves small or do we think that they just don't like us? Or maybe they have a problem. Maybe it's them. Maybe if they don't like us, it's just who they are and it has nothing to do with us. I think that living in fear creates a lot of self-image problems because we think of ourselves as grasshoppers. Well, when we're living in fear, not only do we underestimate God, we underestimate ourselves, but it's the, not the problems that defeat us. It's usually our perspective. So when I have a problem that I'm facing, my perspective of that problem, because I don't know how to deal with it and I'm afraid of it, regardless of the problem, it's our perspective of the problem. Now I'm talking about normal problems of life. I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about some of the deep-seated uh, mental issues that we could develop over our lives. I'm not talking about those type of deeper issues. I'm talking about the general problems of our lives that we face on a daily basis. Our perspective is usually what holds us down. So the problem is not what the problem is. The problem is what the problem does and causes us to do. 
So my wife says, you got to get some grit, right? <laughs> and I love it when she says that because it is true. Uh, we have to open up our bandwidth, some people say. My friend Debbie says that all the time. Get some bandwidth um, in your life. We have to open up our bandwidth. We have to get some grit when it comes to facing problems because uh, honestly, there's, there's great task ahead of us and we have to grow in our lives and we have to become stronger in our lives to deal with what we're having to face with in the present and we're going to face in the future as well. I took a session, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I believe, about uh, a, a business course that I'm in, and, and Mike Bloomberg, along with some others, led a, a seminar that we got to attend, and he gives this illustration of a big pile of horse crap in the room, and a lot of times, well, if, if you walked into your house, into your living room, and there was a big pile of horse crap in the middle of your living room, you might have something to say about it. You might complain about it. You might go, my word, what? Who brought that in here? Or why is there this big pile of horse crap? And why aren't we cleaning it up, right? And, and so, so it would be shocking if something like that happened. Well, I would say that in the last handful of months, probably well, exactly maybe nine of them, in the last nine or eight or nine months, the pile of horse crap in the middle of our rooms has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And Mike Bloomberg said this. He said, you can complain about it. You can yell about it. You can blame other people for it. Or you can start looking for the pony. And I really like that because... Number one, he said he's not just like Mr. Positive Polly, and if you just have positive thoughts, then, you know, life will change. It's about looking at problems in life and looking for also the opportunity that God wants us to take to grow, to take the opportunity that we have been dealt this bad hand or dealt this wrong card or we've been just dealt a problem and we can focus, complain, yell, and scream, and be hurt for a very long time. Eventually, we have to look, and that can happen quickly. That can happen over a lifetime. We have to look for the opportunity. We can't let the people that are, quote, bigger than us scare us out of the land. We have to look for the opportunity. So there's some results to fear that I just want to quickly go over, and I'm going to jump into Numbers 14, actually, and starting in verse 1, uh, it talks about discouragement. They were very discouraged, and it says, Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. So I would say that, that our fear creates discouragement because the natural consequences of fear really is I'm not good enough, I'm not sufficient for this task or this project or this problem, I am not enough. And I just want to counter that with us, that God, God looks at us and he says, you are enough just the way that you are, you are enough. I am in you, I'm for you, I'm beside you, I'm, I'm walking with you, you are sufficient. 
<clears throat> so even in our discouragement and even in our blah, like meh, like this is happening to us, in our fear, let's do the hard work to bolster what's going on inside to believe God's words of us that we're enough and not go to those deep, dark places of, I'm not sufficient for this. I'm not good enough. But then discontentment uh, births in that after we get discouraged, then we get discontented with, with life. And I would say that that's another natural progression. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt and even here in the wilderness, they complained. So they were grumbling. First they mourned, right? And then they complained. And people who feel like failures, like when I feel like a failure, I become the greatest critic of myself, but also others. I start complaining about others. When I feel discouraged and I feel defeated in my life and I start just walking down this progression, I start pointing the finger of blame. It's a natural result of fear. Then that turns into blame and anger towards, towards other people. So when you don't feel good about yourself and what's happening in you, in you and me, right? When I don't feel good about myself, then I don't want anyone else to achieve in life either. And that's what was going on. We can't overtake this land, so no one's gonna overtake this land, right? So these guys had the opportunity and they didn't take it and they started blaming Aaron, they started blaming Moses, they started blaming the, the leadership, they just started blaming everybody. But then in verse three, we see that it goes right to defeat. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our children will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better to return to Egypt? So let's go back there. Let's go back to being beaten and enslaved and worked to death like we've known for 400 years. We feel defeated and we run back Many times we run back to dysfunctional situations, to toxic situations. Unfortunately, that happens also with some. But usually what happens is we just run back to nothing. We feel defeated, so we sit down. We feel defeated, so we just give up. We quit. So many people would rather quit than risk being successful. Many people would just quit then being risked, being told no, risk. I mean, how many times in our successes that you've named off have you been told no in your life during those moments of, of trying to strive towards, towards a successful idea or project? So many people would rather live in emotional dysfunction than risk this freedom. They'd rather go back to what they, what they know. So instead of seeing with eyes of those, that kind of fear, could we see with eyes of some sense of, of faith? And Caleb and Joshua were the ones that say, we can, we can do that. We can do this. We can overtake this. So what does it mean to see with eyes of faith? And I look in the book of Ephesians, and I can't help because I, I love the book of Ephesians, and I see where Paul is saying this is how to live with eyes of faith. He says in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened 
so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of, the, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. So what does he mean? Literally, the eyes of your heart means the eyes of your understanding. He says, I want you to learn to see through spiritual eyes. See the world as God sees the world. See the world like Jesus sees the world and wants to see the world redeemed. No longer do we see with the eyes of of rebellion and anger and discontent and discouragement. We see, as Paul says, with the eyes of hope and a sense of joy and seeing the world with the spiritual eyes of love. And this story back in Numbers tells me that I need to see with those kind of eyes first. And when I see with those kind of eyes first, then I get in my life the, the blessing of the milk and the honey and the fruit that God wants me to have in my life. And that's what makes this story the best story ever. So let's take communion with that in mind. When I think about Jesus and just the renewal, the rebirth, the new land, the new promised land that he promises that I will have for eternity, he says, do this in remembrance of me. See the world through this lens now, through my body, through my blood that we say thanks be to God. Take the bread, take the juice, take and eat. And Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for the blessing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.